The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. And welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Bench with Bubba, episode 61. You can find me on Twitter at BDentric. And this week, joined by a special guest, a first-timer. You can find him at big3sports.com. He's on Twitter at Lance Brosdow. Lance Brozdowski, how are we doing, man? Dude, I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on. I'm pretty excited. I usually don't get the, the casting call for stuff like this too much, so I'm, I'm amped to talk with you and chat. We got a nice little list of notes here, so uh, I'm, I'm excited, man. Thanks for having yeah. me on. Uh, no problem at all. I'm pumped to have you. I love just talking baseball, if it's fantasy, real life, whatever. Yeah. Uh, started following you a while back. You got great content, so I've had you on the list of people to invite. And after We'll get right into it. After you went to winter meetings last week, I, I'm for, first – extremely jealous as a baseball nut myself like that's on the list of things to do um what was like some of the highlights man it's got to be a, a rush yeah it's it was like i gotta say like going in i didn't know like what my expectations were from what i understood from a lot of the people in the industry they told me that it's a it's a basically a job seeking fest so everyone goes down there who's a student you know from college you're trying to get a major league ops job or whatever and you go down in like your blazer and your tie and stuff like that and everyone looks the same it's like a horde of students but uh so I kind of was expecting the worst, I have to say, actually. But I got down there, and uh, I was actually down there representing the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network, which I'm the editor for. Um, and we were trying to pick up scouts. So I met the management team from them. So it was a kind of weird blend of, like, me meeting a lot of, a lot of people for the first time. So I connected with them. And then, you know, when we were actually at the hotel, it was at the Dolphin and Swan in Orlando. Um, I, it was just – it was awesome. Like, I, I don't even know what to say more than that. You know, there's just – so many people there that I just love talking baseball, as you just said, you know, I just love bantering about baseball and talking about it. That was one of those things everywhere you turn, you see someone you either recognize from MLB network or something like that. Or, you know, if you're, if you know the beat reporter face or the face of a beat reporter, like Ken Rosenthal is pretty hard to miss. He's kind of short guy, but uh, he's, he's the man I liked him. I shook his hand. I was very proud of that, but uh, there's a highlight. You said highlights. I think that was a highlight shaking his hand. I wish I actually reached out to him on Twitter and I was like, hey, I'd love to sit down with you and just do like a, like an expose on you as a person and your development in the athletic and stuff like that. And, you know, he respectfully declined. But the fact that he reached out to me on Twitter, I was like starstruck. I was like, man, I'm just going to reach out to you for random stuff now and just decline me and I'm just going to be happy for the rest of the day. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, highlights, yeah, was that. Um, was running into everyone, was drinking at the bars. Like the big thing at night is is going there and just kind of connecting with people. And I feel like people definitely open up more when you give them a couple beers, which is – ideal as i'm sure anyone who's been in any work environment knows uh just give a couple of beers to someone and, and the truth serum uh helps out but uh but i think that the biggest highlight if you're talking like the content you know i, I write a ton and i do a lot of coverage and stuff like that and the biggest thing for me was jim callis actually so i saw him uh is anyone that knows the swan resort or whatever has been down there they have like this cafe called fuel which i spent an absurd amount of money at every morning buying a water and like a pastry just to hold myself over it was like 18 bucks. I got like a water, a pastry, and like a granola bar. And I was just like mind blown. It's like $18. Oh my God. I could buy like two Chipotle burritos or something. But uh, but uh, I saw Jim Callis standing in the corner and I recognized him. Uh, he's got very distinct glasses. And uh, I, I just actually this summer was out in Fort Wayne, Indiana, watching the Padres A-ball team. And Tatis Jr. was there. And I really wanted his perspective on him because I know he's been a, a riser on a lot of lists. And I, I got a good look at him. Got a good look at a couple of the other guys too. But I was like, you know what? There's very few times where I'm going to get a chance to talk to Cal. So I waited for him to finish. And then we started chatting for about like 10, 15 minutes. I actually extended longer than I wanted. And then at the end, I was like, hey, I want to sit down with you and like really dig in. So we sat down for about 30 minutes the next day, coordinated. I was very happy that 
he wasn't super busy to kind of cut me out of his his list of priorities and I did a really cool comment. I pretty much just transcribed it, but the talk itself was probably the highlight. We dug into some 2018 draft guys, um, dug into his concept around two-way players and how he thinks that development's going to go from the college level to the minors to the majors. And um, Yeah, that's the thing that sticks with me the most, I would say. It's definitely that Callis interview. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I, the closest I've come to something like that, and I prefer to do it in baseball, but when the Super Bowl came to San Francisco, I went to the media day because anybody can get a, a credential to that. And so I'm walk I'm walking around and I'm I'm interviewing the players and I'm talking like uh, Ian Rappaport standing there and all kinds of guys. So oh, I I get, I I get what you're saying. It's kind of a different animal, but I would love to meet Jim Callis. Uh, I'm a big prospect guy as well. I think that's kind of how yeah. I started following you and getting to know who you were. Is, is, is stuff along that lines, and uh, I I'd be he, picking his brain would be a lot of fun. Oh, a lot absolutely. Of fun. Um. What would you do differently this year or next time around? I know it's in Vegas next year, and that's just going to be a complete circus. Oh, I can only imagine what's going to take place. They're like, why would you have an event in Vegas? I just, oh, it's think, such a terrible idea. I what would you do differently? I think, actually, you're just talking about getting credentialed. The, the thing I would do differently is I, I would make sure I'm credentialed if I go back because I wasn't credentialed, but I was walking around the media floor, and I, I feel like – I, I'm tall, I'm very tall, and I look a little bit not like a college student, kind of, like if you see me in person. I know, look, I could kind of got a baby face, I look young, whatever, but, you know, if you see me walking around, I had like a blazer on, and I feel like to some extent people didn't know that I wasn't credentialed, which was good, because I was able to stand there the whole time and just watch like Chris Russo yell and stuff like that. They had the, the high heat set was like right there as in the media floor, but they kicked some other people out. But I would go down, I would make sure I was credentialed, because I would have loved to have sit in on that Giancarlo press conference, which was right there. Um, there's a couple other GM things that I wasn't able to get access to. Um, and I also just feel like it would have been much easier to build conversations in my own credibility. It's it's kind of hard pitching to people, you know, that I'm trying to do this for a living. You know, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm right for Big Three Sports, right for Asbar, right for these other sites. And it's like, I hope that they're, one of them clicks. Like, there's a small, small chance that they know what Big Three Sports is. A little bit bigger of a chance they know what Razball is. I'm trying to get my name out elsewhere. So it's like, I just got to drop something that they know. And sometimes I'll just go to, like, I post on Fangraphs community forums a lot. And they're like, oh, Fangraphs, yeah, you write for Fangraphs. I was like, no, 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 I don't write for Fangraphs. Post to the community side of it. So, uh, um, but, yeah, I'd, I'd get credentialed, build the, build the credibility a little bit more, and just kind of just be able to sit in on some of that stuff would have been sick. I think that's the biggest thing. And probably a little bit more, like, I'm, I'm relatively social in settings like this. I know, I, I mean, I can't imagine if you're introverted going down there because it's, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of ways you can just kind of hang in the corner. But really just, like, talking to people more like by the third day I really got into a groove with just like connecting with whoever and just pitching what I wanted to do and what our company story was on the collegiate baseball scouting network side and just what I want to do as a person you know in the, in the industry but uh um yeah maybe earlier on I would say too just just being a little more social like if I saw someone um you run into them like the, the other thing too like I enjoy talking to a lot of I ran into some scouts like area scouts for teams and I really like everyone I ran into I had a question just in my head just pop up like ran to an Astros when I was like Kyle Tucker meeting. I want to know about his development and stuff like that. So that was the biggest thing. Like I wish that I just talked to more people because you never know, like someone you're sitting next to is a scout, whether he's on the media side, whether he has nothing to do with baseball and is just there with their family down in Disney world for some reason, which I'm so sorry if anyone was down there and, and saw the baseball nerds running around talking baseball and trying to push their kids through Disney world. But uh, yeah, credentials is probably the biggest thing. Um, as far as advice goes though, I mean, I'd go back to being social, just, just really be social and connect with people. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say is you, you nailed it there. You, I know it's hard for some, like you said, introverted and everything. You can't be shy. Uh, between the NFL experience I had, I've done PGA at Pebble before for the Pro-Am and everything. You can't be scared to talk to these people. Like, you just can't. Um, and I know it's tough, but once you get the first few rolling, like you said, you get comfortable. And a lot of these guys, and I've even told it to people on Twitter and, you know, just getting different people on podcasts and stuff – you never know until you try and you'll be shocked at how many people just want to talk, talk sports and stuff. Oh, exactly. you'd be shocked. The industry is so, so friendly. I've met, I don't think I've ever met mm -hmm. someone in person who has been not what I expected as far as like how nice they are and stuff, you know, like Fangraphs yeah, had a they, meet up in, in Boston and like all the writers were there and stuff. And I was starstruck, but each of them was like yep. genuinely interesting to talk to. And I was blown away. It was awesome. Because the best part is they're just like me and you, they all started from the bottom and it's like, in, in, in the the end of it, I know I've said it many times, they just want to sit and talk sports. They don't care about who you are or what you do. Like, it's fun. Yep. So, yeah, I'll, exactly, man.
All about it. Um, recently, you came out with an article on Big Three Sports about some of the interactions you've made with Eno Sherish and other people in the media force about kind of about the, about the athletic. It's a great website. Uh, I highly advise people to subscribe to it. I've mentioned it on every podcast I do. I think it's phenomenal. The platform, everything is great. What was your total take on this and like the direction it's going? Yeah, this was this was one of the bigger like reporting pieces I'd done. It took me about two months to get everything together. So it was the biggest time investment I've ever had in something like this. And I, I refined the how the pros was in, in my speech and just kind of what I was talking about. We'll look it over. It's it's a work sample of mine that I really wanted to hammer. But I initially came into it wanting to be a little bit more diverse and then I realized all the connections I had were more baseball based. So the comma as a whole is is just about the athletics. So anyone that doesn't know the athletic is basically a paywall subscription sports blog is what it is. And that that's one of the main features of it. And the other main feature is that it's it's what I consider called hyper-local. So they have Chicago, San Francisco, Toronto, all these kind of areas, and they have sub-sites. And if you buy an athletic subscription, you get all those sub-sites. And what they started to do is with a lot of the layoffs that went on, they were able to pick up some of the national writers. So they started to kind of build this interesting national blend on top of the these sub-sites, these hyper-local sites. So as a whole, there hasn't been too much growth of late. Like I noticed they've been picking up smaller writers, but there was a huge influx of growth in late August, I believe it was, where they grabbed Rosenthal, Stuart Mandel, um, and a couple other people who were just big on the college sports side and really just built this brand that is started to take over. But, you know, my, my interest around it, wanting to get into sports media is that, is it going to be successful? This is the ultimate question is, do we think this is going to succeed and this is going to become the model of sports? We're so used to free content as a whole, you know, in the sports specifically that I think it's going to be very hard. One of the things I mentioned in the column is just habit. Habit is very hard to change as a whole for people, especially people who are a little bit older, like no offense to anyone that's older listening, but I mean, I think I'm getting a little more stubborn as I age, but it's yep. one of those things like it's just tough to, it's tough to tell someone who's picked up a paper from the globe, Boston globe, mountain Boston. So, the globe comes to mind or just anywhere goes to SB nation and see all sees all that free content. That's very good. And then tell them, you know, this is equally as good content, if not better, I think it is substantially better. That's just my personal opinion, but to pay for it is the thing and to get people over that hump is the thing and to grow the subscriber base is the other thing. Cause at the end of the day, they have a lot of back backing on the investment side. I think they have over like $5 million in, in investment and that's why they were able to pay all these writers pretty well so if you're looking at it from the sports media side you're coming in as a writer like myself I'm trying to break in in the model i want because that's stable income like if we have a subscriber base that's paying seven dollars a month whatever it averages out to mainly they do like six months one-year plans if if we have people paying that we know how many people are paying that and it's a year that's stable revenue and it's stable income for the writers as opposed to a cost per click system which we've seen take off with the dot-com boom and stuff like that it's all like ad google adsense ad words and all that stuff it's it's different, and that's the thing. It's just as a, as a whole, the athletic is is that it's hyper local and it's the paywall and it's bringing it back. And you know, as you're saying, I spoke to Eno Saris of Fangraphs and the Athletic. Spoke to Edward Egros, who I actually met out in Boston from Dallas, uh, Fort Worth area. He does Fox Sports. He's on air. Talked to Sean Layman, who's actually the founder of the Layman Database. For anyone that's on the stat side and has ever delved into R, and I talked to Mike Reese, actually, who's a very big Patriots beat reporter that I I swindled my way into a connection of, but. Uh, but, I mean, as a whole, I think if you want to encompass everything that they had to say about it, it's it's hope. They're hopeful that it will work because it will create stable jobs for the sports media industry and writers who are trying to break in. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know if – I bet you read some of the column, but if you had any questions on it, you know, I'd, I'd love to go into more depth. It's just tough because it's one of those things where I had so many thoughts. Like, I could go on for an hour about this. And just no. – I'm sure people would immediately tune out of the podcast, though. <laughs> no, no, no. That, and that's what I love about this. This this is one of the ones that's my podcast. So, literally, I've done movies – TV shows, food, sports, whatever. It's what we want to talk yeah. about. So I was really intrigued by it because I've been doing my website, these sports DGENs for about two years now. I know you have your website and we can probably relate a bit that it's hard to find the advertising, the funds, all that stuff to make it work. And you, you detailed that in the column. And I found that very interesting that even these guys with the backing and, and you know, they probably have stuff like ESPN has where they can go and get advertisement that can pay big bucks. They can probably figure that out, but they're going with the, the subscription philosophy, which I love. Do you think that's going to actually be successful? Like you personally, do you think that's successful? Because I think the content's great. You think the content's great, but the average Joe, will they find it great enough to continually subscribe to it? That's ah, interesting. I think those are kind of two different questions. Actually. I think that 
if the average Joe finds it success, it's successful and appreciates it, I think they will pay. But is as a whole will it be successful? I think that that's kind of a twofold question. I will say personally, yeah, trying to remove as much as my bias as possible, yes, it will be successful. But the qualifier there is that I think there's a way to do it that makes it more efficient in the long run. And that's where they're going to have to go. And that is, in my opinion, means they're going to have to cut out, I think, some of the smaller subsites that aren't doing as well. Because I know a lot of their information isn't public. They don't even let out subscriber numbers or anything like that or revenue or anything. So we really are in the dark with a lot of what's going on. We, we can maybe average it out based on some of the other local ones, but that's kind of a crude thing. And I'm, I'm sure that they're, there's much more accurate and they're the biggest doing this in the, in the country, I believe. So I think that what we're going to see is like Chicago has been very successful. Toronto and their hockey side has been extremely, extremely successful. I think that what we'll see over the next year or so is concentration on those smaller subsites that are doing very well and then kind of maybe getting away from the ones that aren't doing as well and knocking off some of the stuff. Like I know they have a lot of A's coverage, but I don't know. Like you're on the, you're on the West Coast, so it's like is – do people – really want to read about the a's like i know winning can make any fan base kind of come back to life but the a's haven't kind of won for a while and that's one of the things like if they're putting a lot of money into the a's and no one's reading that from a business standpoint if i'm coming in and i'm looking at that i'm going well you guys are killing it in chicago we really like your hockey content in toronto you know but the a's content you know view wise is just such a small percentage like if we can cut costs on that and only lose this amount on the view side, maybe lose a couple of subscribers that really wanted that A's coverage, is that more efficient in the long run for us? And I think that's what it's going to consolidate to. I think that a lot of people who look at their site right now see all these cities and the, the couple that stand out immediately is not being there in New York, Boston, and L.A. Yeah. And you go, oh, my God, they're going to go there next. But the big thing is, do you think they'll be successful there? This is something I actually wanted to ask you is, do you think they'll be successful there? My, my initial impression is that it's going to be very hard because the costs are going to be higher. And there's a lot more competition, you know, like there's a lot yeah. of competition. Yeah, the competition, the competition's tremendous because every like those obviously major markets, they have so many people there doing work. And like a market like L.A. that I'm familiar with when I visited, I don't live there, but mm -hmm. they're not really a single team fandom. It's kind of like a conglomerate of people. So like if they're just there covering, say, the Rams and the Chargers, do enough people in that area care about it? And I think that's kind of what you're getting at there. And that's a tough one. Like New York, I could see being there. There's so many loyalists to teams, but then again, like you said, it's compacted. Yeah. yeah that's interesting. Awesome. Cause that was going to lead me to a question for you is, do you think, cause I agree with what you're saying is maybe cut out this or that. Do they maybe go to a different philosophy where it's you subscribe for a certain sport or just a certain city and go from there instead of this total package thing or are they gonna it doesn't sound like you think they're gonna keep adding more small towns because that seems like it's not gonna work but the way they came out you know all of a sudden they're adding pittsburgh and towns i didn't think would be high on the list but they're doing that and like could denver be one with the rockies and the nuggets and yeah. the broncos stuff like that uh, yeah it's ah, that's tough it's like as a whole, you look at it and, you know, there's the, the funny thing with Pittsburgh, actually, specifically, you bring that up. There's another site called DK Sports, which is basically the equal of the athletic. And I believe the athletic at some point actually came to, I think his name is Dejan Kovacevic. And I'm, I'm hoping I get that right there. Um, but DK Sports Pittsburgh is like basically a an offshoot. It's it's the essentially the athletics model, but it's not the athletic. It's this guy's own vision. And he came up with it. And he actually sold the infrastructure to a guy out in Boston, Eric Bedard for the Boston Sports Journal, which is another one that's like identical. It's literally a subscription-based sports blog specific to that area. So it's interesting to me that they went to Pittsburgh and that they have some of that stuff. They're going to branch out there and stuff. But, I mean, I don't think that they're going to pick up a lot of the small towns unless they think they can do it cost-effectively and the viewership is there. Denver is an interesting one. I, I haven't really been out to Denver in my life, actually. I haven't been out west too much, but I know that – fan base is relatively passionate and you have four sports teams there, even if the avalanche aren't the most competitive team, they have McKinnon and some other guys that are interesting, but that that's an interesting one. I think that there's certain markets that would be interesting for them to expand to, but from a business side, they really got to drill in on that and figure out what's most cost effective to do. As far as them turning to a pay for area model, I, I would say strongly that they won't do that. I think that one of the biggest selling points for them is that it's a very intuitive platform. Like, it's actually confusing the question I'm sure they get all the time is like, oh, if I pay this amount of money, do I get access to all the things? And what they can easily say back is, 
you pay this fee, you have everything we write. And I think that if they break that up, that is, that's not good for the marketing side of it. I know they don't do a ton of marketing, but from the marketing side of it, like if you're a writer and you want someone to subscribe to the athletic, it's so much easier to just be like, pay X amount of dollars for six months, pay $35 for six months. You get everything we have. And we just break it out by sport and by town. So I don't think that they'll go to, you know, even like a scaled model that which, which is, I think what you're kind of implying here is that maybe they go to a scaled model, like pay a little bit more and you get Chicago, pay a little bit less. Yeah. We'll give you Toronto and stuff like that. It's interesting, but I think it really messes with their brand a bit, which in which I wrote about kind of in the piece is something that's very cohesive. And I think they really want to keep that together. And then that goes back to one of your initial statements. That'll mess up the constant flow of cash that you can pay your writers. Cause if you know, yeah. X amounts going over here. Well, how do I afford the guys over here type thing? So exactly. that makes, that makes that it at that point you'd start to see a lot of people cut off. And it's one of those things like it's almost, it's a bit not to bring in like politics or anything, but it's a bit, it's a bit socialist to some extent where you have right. a lot of different writers. Like the, the, you know, the Chicago writers are probably some extent supporting, putting, supporting the base, getting more views in some of the other areas. But all those writers that I've communicated with, I've co contacted, you know, I've contacted a couple others. Shahad of Sharma actually is a really, really good guy from the Chicago area. Great writer. Um, they're they're they buy into it as a whole, you know. Like Eno said that too. He's just really like they like the model a lot. They like what's going on, and because of that, I think they're okay with the fact that maybe some areas are booing the others. So yeah, yeah that's one of those things. Like if you scale the pay, that's just I think gonna mess up and create probably yeah. a little bit more harm than harm and good. True, and and right now you say maybe this region supporting this region but then you already said earlier maybe all of a sudden you know the pirates make a run and they start winning a little bit then that area could yeah. boom and next thing you know you know the giants are getting even worse and no one wants to read about that anymore so yeah. it could change everything you mentioned boston and pittsburgh's got their little setup uh, i just saw dallas is starting their own website like that oh, what makes me what makes me curious because i i wouldn't be shocked if other regions start this Maybe the athletic does the whole okay. We're gonna watch from afar, see how it does, and then come in and buy them. That's uh, interesting too. I, I mean, I listen to so one of my favorite podcasts actually is is the SI Media podcast with Richard Dice. I think his name is. Um, yeah, he does a lot of deep dives into the sports media side. And in the past, they've had the episodes about the athletic. And I think the athletic came to DK in Pittsburgh and asked if they wanted to like partner somehow. And DK said no because he liked the model and. I mean, on the smaller scale, like the microeconomic scale of what DK was doing, from what I understand, was very, very profitable, what he was doing. But the, the flip side of that is that the Athletic, with all their startup costs and everything they've gone through, I don't think that they have more than one or two profitable areas. Like, if you're looking on an area scale, I think Toronto's profitable. And from my understanding, I, I do not confirm this or quote me on this, but I believe that Toronto is one of the only ones that is profitable. All the others are breaking even or in the negatives, and that's because of the crazy startup costs and stuff like that to get this going and but I, I mean, that's interesting. Dallas is starting up. I'm actually might connect with one of the individuals I spoke with for the column who is out in Dallas. Cause I think I actually asked him if it would work and he said he wasn't sure. And he, he was kind of hesitant to commit to yes or no on it. But uh, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I'd be interested to see if they kind of go with the acquisition side acquisition to growth, as opposed to um, doing the growth themselves, I guess, like having the capital to put in um, X yeah. amount of dollars to get more cities going. So yeah, it's just, I was just trying to look like it up. Their intentions are. It's yeah. You can't just put out a flyer. You can't really figure it out. I know what they're they're trying to you know provide great you know coverage of stuff, but it's tough when like you another point you made at the beginning is everyone can find free content. It's just a matter yeah. of what content do you want. Exactly. Um, I forget his name now. It's the Ephus Pitch guy out of Texas. Um, he you follow if you go check out his Twitter. He talks about the new Dallas setup. It's it's pretty interesting. Um, but we'll, we'll we'll move on from here. We might have to come back and revisit this topic because I, I'm intrigued by it, and you have a lot of good takes on this. So we might have to come back to that at a, another date. Um, Absolutely. But let's get into some MLB offseason talk. And I put out a Twitter poll yesterday just for fun. Who had the bigger mess of an offseason so far, the Marlins or the Orioles? you got the Marlins, obvious stuff going on. The Orioles isn't quite as obvious to just a random fan because – to me, the way they butchered the Machado deal is bad. They didn't trade Britain even at the last deadline, um, and now he's hurt, so you can't trade Brock. That's just a disaster to me. What do you think was the worst offseason? I, I, well, it's, it's clearly the Marlins. I don't think it's close. I'd be surprised if anyone actually thinks that the Orioles is worse. But the, the Orioles it was seventy. It was seventy-two twenty-eight on the vote. By the way, really to the. 
that's tough. I wonder how many people are just yeah. Baltimore cynics, but, uh, but exactly. Uh, that's I mean, it's clearly the Marlins. I don't think there's a debate around it. But the the, the Orioles side is interesting because actually down at the winter meetings, we were actually watching uh, Dan Duquette, the GM, get interviewed by SiriusXM, and then we I think we went to go to dinner or something like that, and we were on our phones looking at Twitter and stuff like that, and they broke in that interview that we were watching that. Duquette didn't make a pitch or, or to Otani at all. I'm not sure if it was the questionnaire side that he didn't do or anything. He didn't, he didn't do any of it. He just said, like, we didn't touch Otani. So that's, in essence, something that I'm sure riled up that fan base because you fill out a questionnaire, you have a shot to get an absolute lottery ticket. A guy who's going to put up four, four wins above replacement and be paid league minimum with a small posting fee that you can easily kind of massage into your budget but that was something that i mean if you're an Orioles fan i'd almost be most pissed about that i actually don't mind i think today i saw some news circulating that it looks like machado is going to be held um that it's it's cooling off the rumors mill and stuff like that and they want two controllable pitchers long term that doesn't seem like a thing that most teams are willing to give up i know the cardinals are probably in it with alcantara to some extent but he went to miami for ozuna so there's very few teams that are probably willing to give up two controllable pitchers and even fewer that would actually do that and then get Machado back. The only two that come to mind are like the Dodgers and the, uh, and the Cardinals, but I just don't, I don't know. I just don't think it'll happen, but I, I actually don't mind the fact that they're holding on to Machado. I'm not sure you, how you feel about this, but I think that you can f- probably fleece a team easier during the deadline when you get them on a sort of a high and they think they're contending or they think they're Machado away from being a World Series contender, a serious World Series contender, and get them to overpay. And, you know, we've seen this in the past with, like, the Andrew Miller deal and stuff like that. Like, I know Clint Frazier wasn't an absolute top 10 consensus prospect. He was a very, very good prospect and one I've liked for a while for for various reasons. But that was a lot to give up for Andrew Miller. And, like, Galibra was a lot to give up for Chapman. And we've seen a lot of these deadline deals go down where the, the price coming back to the team with the asset is very high on the prospect side. And to me... You can catch a team like it only is going to take one team. This is something I talked about with Callis talking about the draft itself in 2018. But he's like, it only takes one team to buy into a guy's power developing for them to shoot him up into the first round. And you could kind of apply this logic back to the deadline. It only takes one team to think that they're Machado away from getting into the playoffs and contending for them to overpay for Machado. And even if they don't have the need for that spot to find a way to put him in, whether it's that shortstop or whether it's that third. And I know the White Sox have been kind of rumored around it longer term and from what i understand the rumor is that they'd give up whatever i'm not really sure what they'd give up but they would make it contingent upon if they could extend him because they kind of want him to be the future and i just am very skeptical number one that that deal would go down and it's not because that white Sox don't have the prospects because they do it's more than a matter of i don't think machado is going to sign there long term thoughts on machado as a whole this is something i i kind of has been swirling around my head i know the phillies were rumored when i was down in the winter meetings and i was a little bit skeptical about that but i haven't really had a team in my mind where I'm like, that's it. I think that he could go there. So I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Well, I, I always thought, I think even in one of my previews for last season that they're, they're close. The, the white Sox for one are close on the rebuild. I wanted them to sign him in 2018 mm-hmm. or, or after the 2018 season, the yeah. trading, the trading part concerns me. Like you said, the prospects, um, I don't like a team, especially a rebuilding team to top it off, to be trading for Machado to give up your prospect without the guarantee you're signing him. You need to lock him in. That is a big, big move because you've made so much progress and made. I love what the Phillies rebuild is. I love what the White Sox rebuild is. But what you'll have to give up for him to just watch him walk out the door will be very tough. For the Orioles standpoint, I totally get what you're saying, and it makes a lot of sense. I never really thought of it that way. I think I saw you tweet it today, so I started thinking about it more, and it, it made a lot of sense that they could really up the ante come deadline time and get something. And the other reason why the Orioles, and I know everybody wants to run them into the ground, and I've had my fun time with it as well. <laughs> the one thing they have to remember is they're going to get, I think, two draft picks when he leaves and signs somewhere else. And I know I know, um, they've found ways to screw up a farm system and, and transactions, but just to give them away for nothing, you got to make sure that returns better than what your two early draft picks could be. And that says a lot to what – their decision process has to be at least that's my opinion on it no that, that makes a lot of sense i think that's an intuitive way to look at it as a whole but yeah it's just tough like i just i just i'm hard i have a hard time in my head finding a match and that's why i think i initially kind of thought that he wasn't going to be shipped i remember i was talking to my dad and he said he, he felt like he was going to trade i think there was a rumor going around that it was going to be by the end of the week that machado machado deal would be done and i think that kind of got misinterpreted because it was more of the, the decision to trade him will be made 
It's not whether the deal is done. It's more like, do they want to trade him? Which to me implies that they were probably much further apart on price. Because yeah. if I'm the Orioles, like, I'll start this rebuild now. Like, I know they messed up with Britain, but if you get fair value that you as an organization believe is fair value for Manny Machado right now, take that. Like, I don't see any problem with that. And that then comes back to me. Like, it's I don't think the value was good enough for them. And I think that, the, as we're saying right here, the value is going to shoot up to, near the deadline. Yeah, they, they were getting low-balled pretty good on some of these deals. So I, I don't blame them for what they're doing. It's just like – it seems like a domino effect and it wasn't even, it was out of their control. Like how did they know Britain was going to go mess his Achilles up in LA while yeah. he's training. But um, it's just been one thing after another for them. It's been pretty brutal. Let's talk Marlins. Oh God. It, it's an absolute disaster. Uh, um, we know, we know the trades. That's pretty simple stuff. Let's just go to the town hall meeting. That was pretty entertaining to me. What was, what was your take on that, that whole debacle? I mean, I, I, I want to, I, so I was talking about this with a buddy of mine, actually, and we were going back and forth in it. And I think I'm interested in particularly in two aspects of this. The first one I'm most interested in is is the question, and we're not going to get an answer, but is Jeter in here just to be a punching bag? Like, I'm, I'm sure my philosophy around it, I'll present it, I'm interested to see your thoughts on it, but my philosophy around it is that Jeter may not have wanted to own a major league team as aggressively as we all thought. We understand he's a very, very good individual with the media. He's never had any problems in the past. So if you're Sherman and you're coming in and you want someone, you know you're going to make all these decisions that no one is going to like in South Florida, and you could pull a guy like Derek Jeter onto your side, probably compensate him a little bit more than the 4.5% Excuse me, that he's actually getting equity-wise, from what I understand, from the team. And just be like, hey, Jeter, this is going to suck. We'll give you ownership. Eventually, we think we might be able to turn around. But we really just need you to be front-facing. Because as much as people hate what they're doing, that town hall meeting, Jeter won the the town hall meeting from what I I saw. He won it. He absolutely slaughtered it. And it's one of those things. Like, If you're Sherman, you are a genius right now. You're looking at that and you are – popping champagne because that's exactly what you needed you needed jeter to go there sit down and talk the ear of all these fans 200 fans wherever the heck was there off because it just seems so logical to me that he gets into this and they literally look him dead in the eye and go you're going to get slaughtered by the media everyone's going to say you're making these moves we're not going to give you that much of a decision around this you know like i i honestly don't know how much decision making power jeter has and i don't think it's a lot like i think that people are definitely overblowing it because it's much easier to get clicks with an article like going back to the athletic and the cost per click model, it's much easier espionation or any side. I don't mean to throw espionation on the bus. Put up an article that says Jeter trades Stan Ozuna. You know, yeah. like Jeter's probably not the one making a decision. He's there just getting slaughtered because he's he's definitely not making the final decision. I don't think so at all. But yeah. do you do you believe that or do you think that Jeter has more say than I think he does? Because I think it's very minimal. It, it's a weird. I pretty much agree with everything you're saying. It's weird to have, like, obviously Jeter's a great face to have for a franchise, and I get that. But the face to have for a franchise, when you like, – I told many people coming into this, it didn't matter who was buying the team, an implosion was going to happen. That was just the facts. Yeah. The, the, the Stanton deal, you could not afford it. When they signed that deal, this day was coming, and it was just a domino effect. They're going to have to just gut it and start over. There was no way around that. It's just maybe it could have been handled a little differently – Maybe let the guys know a little more, like Riamuto and Yellick and so on and so forth. That's the story we have no control over. The Jeter thing, which is funny, you know, maybe when they get better in five, six, seven years, if he's still around, he's the perfect face for the franchise. But for a guy that lived his whole life with the Yankees and was the man about giving you the smallest answers with nothing behind them, and now he has to go in front of the media and say he has to answer all these big questions and basically – stop the pitchfork mob that's coming at you. Yeah. Probably not the guy you want sitting there. You're almost better off with Kenny Williams making a like a fool out of himself in front of this than Derek Jeter. Um, oh, and I agree. I don't think he's making – I think he has a big impact because obviously they're going to ask like, hey, what do you think about this, so on and so forth. But pulling the trigger, I don't think he's there. I think he yeah. might help, you know, hand him the bullet. He ain't pulling the trigger. I'd love to see, like, if in 20, 25 years, you know, when Jeter's removed from this and he writes a book or something like that. Like, this used to be a thing. Uh, me and my dad used to always say this all the time. It's like we go back and we're like, what happened with certain player? We can't wait to read his book in 30 years. Like, Albert Pujols, actually, one I've, I've 
grew up a Cardinals fan. I am a Cardinals fan. I'm an East Coast Cardinals fan. So anyone that hates the Cardinals, I apologize. Or anyone in the, in the Midwest that is a little bit more aggressive towards the Cardinals as a whole, I understand. I get chastised everywhere for it, but I'm a devout Cardinals fan. But when Poole was left, I was very mad, obviously. Any Cardinal fan that was young and my age would be because I loved him so much. But I always feel like there was something there that happened, and I want to know what happened. But that's not going to come out until Poole is well removed from baseball. I'd love to know if Jeter, you know, in 20 years we look out and he writes a book and he's like, yeah, you know, we went to those meetings and I said I want more than Alcatar for Ozuna and I want more than Guzman. I like X, X player better. I want the developed Justice Sheffield or something like that a little further along that maybe we could just sit and develop for a little bit, be competitive in two to three years. And they just said no to me. Like, I wouldn't – would you guys be – would anyone be shocked? I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. No. I just, I just don't think he has that much power. I, I agree because Jeter, what he could be very good at in this spot is player, you know, not development, but player analysis. Like, looking at the talent levels and, like you said, Justice Sheffield, he's closer. We can use him soon. But maybe the other guys in the in the, uh, the, the war room are like, well, I'd rather get three players instead of one. Yeah. So we can so we can build the whole farm system instead of like go right now. Yeah, that's the thing. And then the other side, I'm interested on this. Um, if I could remember it, I'm blanking right now actually. Um, Marlins, Marlins. What were we talking about? Oh, Marlins. Um, did you see the Dan Libertard interview with Manfred? I heard about it. I have not seen it yet. It, it's kind of wild. It's basically Dan Libertard on his show. He has a morning radio show on ESPN or ESPN two, I think, and he brings Manfred on, and he basically takes. My impression of it was that he took the position that every Marlins fan had, which is just mad about not putting a product on the field. And he went after Manfred, like just really targeted questions. Manfred actually thought did a really good job. I actually think it was on Manfred's side, which is really odd, which I mean, like maybe I don't have all the information in the world, but Levitar just ripped into him. And I just was like, I, I'm the thing is like, I don't want to say this. I know it's gonna be a little bit. It's just, it's not good to say, but I'm interested in like where, did all these Marlins fans come from that are now mad about the Marlins? And Manfred mentions this, like, I, I'm, I'm sorry if anyone's listening, he's a Marlins fan. Like, if you're a devout Marlins fan, I understand. Like, Marlins, if you're a fan, you're from Florida, whatever, you like the team. But you, there was a championship not too, too long ago. And now, like, Levitard seems like, to me, it seems like he's a Cubs fan to some extent, which has, a, in my opinion, a much, much more passionate fan base than the Marlins oh, yeah. do. It's almost like, they had all these assets and were the Cubs and then Theo came in and stripped everything down and got nothing back and sat there and was like, this is what it's going to be for the next five years. Then I would could see the justification around like Libertard kind of flipping out, but he just takes this stance. Like I understand he's, he's backing everyone in Miami. He's definitely from there. So it makes sense that he's going behind that, pushing that agenda, but it just seems so targeted. It seemed so almost artificial to me. I was just like, I get it that the Marlins stripped down, but like, I don't know where these Marlins fans were this whole time. Like, I've seen a lot of them that are just like, man, like, what are you doing down there? This and that. And it's, I, I put a poll up on Twitter. We're talking about Twitter polls. I put one up. Marlins last year were, I think, 19,000 around for total home attendance on average. And the Rays were at about 15,000, which I think were the bottom two in baseball. My thinking, I put a poll out and I was wondering, can the Marlins attendance actually drop by 25% down to 15? and have the Rays jump up and Marlins be the last. And I think it got – I think that the Rays – or actually, no, I think the Marlins were relatively – I think it was like 60-40. People were thinking that the Marlins would have more, which makes me think, like, all right, so Jeter does all this. He gets all this flag on the media. Or I'm actually – I'm subscribing to this. I don't mean Jeter. I mean their organization does all this. He gets all this flag on, the, on whatever sites you want to say and then comes back and looks at everything and just goes, yeah, like – the, the change in attendance isn't as big as we probably initially thought. We're down to like 18,000. And I, that's the thing to me. It's like if they only lose 1,000 to 2,000 to 3,000 people per game at home, like if you're looking long-term with this, the revenue is not going to stay stable. It's probably going to dip a little bit. But long-term, I, I, I almost want to say they're doing the right thing for the organization, but I know that's such a insane belief to have. But I really want to see those early attendance numbers. I think that's the ultimate what I want to say. <laughs> no, that's an outstanding angle to it because I never even thought of that. But really, and again, no disrespect, where do these fans come from? Like, they built yeah. a brand new ballpark a couple of years ago, and they it, it was still you could probably count, like you could probably sure. count the in the was it two years now? It's been there. You could probably count the total sellouts on. I'll give two hands. Yeah, it might be might be one. It's, it's that's crazy. crazy to think about. 
and like I get the Levitar's position and stuff, but it just seemed it seemed artificial to me to some extent. Like, oh, I, yeah, I, maybe he's just maybe it's a cultural thing. Like maybe he was just really invested in the city of Miami and therefore wanted to see anything in Miami succeed. But does that then target back to the baseball team? And like the other thing too, mm-hmm. looking at the national standpoint, the, the health of the game itself is the net. Is it a net gain if we move Giancarlo Stanton to the biggest market in New York? And put him on that team. In my opinion, it's a net gain. It's a tremendous. If you're talking about the interest level in baseball, like you could put like put uh you Darvish on the Marlins and then put uh Jake Arriott on the Marlins. Say nothing happened, they kept staying, they kept losing, and they add Jake Arriott and they add you Darvish. Is, do the Marlins become a, a watchable team, one that people really want to watch? No. I think maybe a little bit more, but it's not like a team like the Angels now, who where I'm gonna watch a ton of West Coast baseball because of the Angels with Otani and Trout and Cozart and Kinsler and all those guys. But then I think it's a net gain. You move Stanton there to New York for the game itself, looking at the aggregate macro level, it's a gain to me if you bring Stanton into New York. Like the storylines around the Stan- the Yankees Red Sox now are so marketable. It's just mm-hmm. it's unbelievable. Like that is a net gain to me. And I, I know it's being very insensitive to everyone in Miami, but mm-hmm. that's that's the perspective I'm coming at with it. And I know it's harsh, but that's what it is. Like, I don't know. I get the competitive imbalance, but man, well, I'm well, I'm excited for this season. Well, deep, deep down, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm pumped for it too. The, the everyone's saying like the off season's been slow, but I'm loving everything it's about it. Yeah. That. Um, but I, I agree with that. Like really the, the net gains are tremendous. You look at what the Yankees and Angels and Dodgers are even doing quietly. Like it, sure, they might be setting up super teams or something, but as a whole, it's better for baseball. And, and again, no offense to other teams, but if you want to have more of an impact on a smaller market, show up and support your team. Yeah, that's It's thing. very simple. <laughs> it's really not that complicated to me. But um, we'll, we'll, we'll get off of this because I, I think it's a great topic. I, I'm actually – I am okay with what the Marlins are doing because I think it's necessary. I want to judge this when it's all said and done. I want to see all of the parts they accumulated. I want to see the total package. And really, we've seen them do this twice, and they've won two World Series. So let's just wait and see what happens because in the long run, we've kind of beat around it together. Jeter is very smart when it comes to baseball stuff. Absolutely. If they just let him do a little bit of work with this, I have confidence four, five, six years – they will put a competitive piece on the field. I have no problem with that at all. I'm interested. Yeah, I think that the, the what they've gotten back has been very raw. I'm not too confident in Guzman and Alcantara, but me and Ralph were talking about this on the Rasball Prospect podcast. Like for Alcantara, this is an absolute best case scenario because he's a guy oh, yeah. who, in the Cardinals rotation, or I mean, excuse me, in the Cardinals bullpen because he wasn't going to be in the rotation. It's a matter of there was too much depth there and he was too raw. He goes to Miami. They have all the incentive in the world to make that kid a starting pitcher. And I know he has the stuff to be a starting pitcher. I've seen him in spring training. I've seen him a lot. He has the stuff. It's just the Cardinals don't have the leash to give a guy like that multiple starts, multiple, a lot of time in Memphis, and then bring him up, stretch him out through the pen, and turn him into like a Luke Weaver, Jack Flaherty kind of guy. Marlins have all, all the time in the world now. Put Alcantara as your five. Give him 24 starts a year for three years. Like that's the absolute best-case scenario for a guy like that that's trying to figure out the rest of his repertoire. So, if you, I mean, that's what I like. I, like, I know Alcantara wasn't a great return ozuna whatever he's controllable he's cheap in the next couple of years but man like that's the best case scenario i find alcantara i mean regardless of geography and stuff maybe you like st louis but situationally it's fantastic for him oh no doubt about it all right let's talk about the good part of the offseason we already said yankees and angels let's talk about him the yankees my goodness brian cashman just gave him the the award now best gm award he, he's been amazing this offseason yeah. even just the, moving money trades and everything and then the Angels. You already said you're going to um, watch more West Coast baseball. I am a diehard Giants fan, mm-hmm. and I've already told my co-host on Around the Bases, Mo, that I'm going to be in Oakland on opening day when the Angels are in town instead of San Francisco. So it. It, it's going to be amazing watching this whole deal. What What's your take on the two teams in their off seasons? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing for me was actually I found out about that stand trade on, I think it happened on a Saturday or a Friday. I woke up, and I like had a buddy text me who's a Yankee fan. And was like, yo, they got Stan. And I was like, no way. Because I went to bed and it was one of those things I, I just I had teams in my mind that I thought he was going to. I thought he was going to the Giants. Actually, I wrote a column on it that I, I just seemed like it was aligning to me. And it was the I, would, I, I was hoping that too. Yeah, I, as a Giants fan, I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> one of those things, you know, to me, it seemed like this was a really, really quick, maybe two, three calls between the GMs, a couple texts that got done. Cause I don't really know. Like, I obviously don't have the insight into the GMs and what they do, but 
it just seemed so quick to me. It like it seemed like it was the Cardinals and it was the Giants. The offers were on the table. It was one of those two teams. Stanton rejects them both, and they throw up their hands, the Marlins, and turn and just go, who wants them? And, you know, the Yankees, knowing that Stan had them on his list of teams he'd be willing to go to, turned around and were like, we'll give you a 100-mile Guzman and, and some other kind of junk. And they were like, sure, you can take all the contract? And they're like, yeah, we'll take like 90, 90% of it. And it was it. Like, I literally think it was like one of those snap decisions. And to me, it's just like, again, Chash, Cashman stumbles into this. Like, he stumbled into it with reliever markets, too. Like, there was a small peak in reliever value where he got stupid value for relievers. He literally rebuilt that farm system because he ended up at the absolute peak of reliever value. And he sold, which was the smartest thing he could have done. And he got Glebery, got Clint Frazier. Yep. And it was just ingenious. It's absolutely ingenious to me that he, he, again, now stumbles into this and ends up with Stan. And it's just... I don't know. Like I'm, I'm impressed. Like I'm sure that it's something on his end as, as well as a lock and opportunity, but man, I don't know what to say about the Yankees. I know you actually had, I wanted to talk about that over under here. Um, we could jump down to that if you want. We had an over under, or I oh, sent yeah. one at least. So judge Stan and Sanchez on that team. I was looking oh, yeah. at Fangraph. Fangraph steamer has judge at 37 home runs, which I thought was low Stan at 55 Sanchez at 30, which is like 122 total. That's a lot of home runs, and That's I don't know bunch. if I go over under on that. I'm just gonna take the under because I just think that there's a good chance one of them misses 20 games or something, especially with the yeah. 10 DL. But safe. Jesus, like when was the last time we were looking at three players in the lineup and going, can they hit 120? That's like, more than the Giants hit as a team last year. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that is, <laughs> that, terrible. That is just no, it is. Trust me, I've, I've, I've learned to accept it. I've accepted yeah. it. Yeah. There's a reason I was excited about Evan Longoria and people were like, why? Just trust me, I'm excited about it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, wow, over under 120. Yeah, you got to take the under just because you imagine there's going to be injuries, like you said. And it's not even – I'm kind of – I'm not a fan of this whole – their injury-prone thing, but yeah, let's just be real. Let's just be real about it. A, you have a catcher who's going to play, what, 150 games if he's, lo- if he's lucky. Yeah, if he's really You got lucky. Stanton and, and Judge, two – behemoth of individuals where they're they're just so big they're so much more likely to get hit with something or run into something or get hurt somehow it's just common sense so i could definitely get behind that um the back to the yankees though it's wild i loved it when they did the glyber torres for chapman deal you mentioned miller for fraser they bring chapman back genius yeah and then this and then in the middle of the season last year they make a trade for tommy canely and david robertson just outstanding stuff so their bullpen's even better than when it started like you're saying and then just little trades like let's just dump all of chase headley on san diego let's just get rid of all of that like did you promise did you promise epler like a suite at yankee stadium anytime you want to come to town or something because my good like just the little things he does are just genius and the scary part is, is he's not done yet. Ellsbury's going somewhere, and I heard today there's rumors of the Giants, which terrifies me. Oh God! But I get it. One reason why the side and bar, why I'm okay with the Giants thing, is because the Longoria move was one of the first smart moves I've seen this regime do in a long time. It wasn't just upgrading an offense; it was also financially smart, mm-hmm. and th- that's something they haven't done much of in a long time. Yeah. So. Because they're obviously not going to contend right now with the big boys, but to get back to that level, they're going to have to start being a lot smarter with, with their transactions instead of just throwing stuff at the wall. Yeah, That's why I, I like this move a lot. I agree. But um, and So that's why the Ellsbury, I'd have to see how it all spun out because it is strictly a smart business move. That's what it would turn into. Yeah. It's just how it would work. I mean, you look at the so. – I mean, going back to the Giants, just touch them quickly if you want. Like, oh, yeah. I was looking at them a little bit, and I mean, I'm sure you know a ton more about them, obviously, being a fan, but a lot of a lot of bad things happened last year. And, you know, you look at a lot of the projections now, depth chart-wise, and you see them at about, I think I've seen them around, like, probably, like, 79 wins, as is, without Longoria. So, like, that that's not too far away. Like, you look at general standard deviation of wins, like, five in each direction, two standard deviations is, like, ten in each direction. Like, they could stumble into an, an 89-win season, and I'm not going to be stunned. Like, look at the Twins last year. Like, you look at that. This is something Eno put up in, I think, a chat the other day. True value of the Twins coming into 2017. Like, in my opinion, that's not a 500-ball club. Like, no. And then they end up getting in the playoffs and, and playing the wild card game. They lose, whatever. But I, it, that's one of those things. Like, you build some hope for a town like Minnesota. 
who hasn't really been relevant in baseball for a while. He's been knocked around. It's the same thing with the Giants. Like, I think that they're coming back and with the vengeance, then you get Cueto to be a pseudo ace, even a three, a viable three, I think would be yep. huge. And it's like you have Longoria. It's just like, I've never heard a bad thing about Evan Longoria in my life. Like he's going to love that area. The fans are going to love him down there. And I know he's not Longoria of the old, but he's a good player. It's not like his power might decrease a little bit. 18th, he's huge, whatever. But I mean, I think it's a good move. Like, I don't know. The, the, the two things here, which surprised sure. the snot out of me, is um, the long, Longo. Here's another thing that makes it appealing. Nick Hundley, who they just re-signed, had four home runs in the AT&T Park. He was the only right-handed hitter with four or more home runs oh, in that ballpark for the Giants. So there's another thing that tells you how bad things are. So Longo's already an upgrade there. Yeah. But um, it was on MLB Tonight last night. They did an overlay of um, Tampa Bay and AT&T Park, there was only six home runs that would not have left the park in AT&T. In, in, in Longo's last three seasons, or all of his, it was like all of his Tampa Bay home runs or something. Because literally, I was shocked when they laid it out there. It's just a portion of Triple's Alley that is different than the dimensions of Tropicana. Yeah, and everyone just thinks that all balls just are magnetized to go to Triple's Alley to some extent. <laughs> and you get yeah. the breeze well, and a lot lefties, but I mean, I don't know. A That's lot of it is. Yeah. A lot of it is at night. It gets extra. The air gets thick, and I get that, but. That's a, I mean, I could talk. I'm having fun talking baseball. Let's just put it that way. But um, let's get to the Angels real quick. Uh, we got Trout, who's amazing, and he just got married, and he's living the dream. Just what an amazing man he is. Just just has to tweet out pictures of his his wife. Thank you, Mike Trout. Like your life wasn't already great enough for any baseball fan alive. Um, and then they go and get the the prize toy and Shohei Otani. I love the Zach Cozart move. Ian Kinsler. These guys, I honestly think, are going to compete with the Astros this year. They're about another starting pitcher away, I think, maybe a bullpen piece, but they are getting really darn close to making it fun. What are your thoughts on the Angels so far this offseason? Uh, I mean, they've, they've, they've won the offseason. I mean, as a whole, they have. Thank they you. Have to Thank have you. That's what, I was, that's what I was wondering because everyone – sorry, everyone wants to anoint the Yankees as the winner. I agree. I think the Angels won this offseason. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's just – yeah, it's, I don't think it's a question. Again, we're going back to like who had the worst offseason. Like the Marlins, it's, it's without a question to Marlins. It's, the, it's without a question the Angels to me. Uh, it's just a personal opinion on how I value players, I think, in, in return. But like the, the Otani's an absolute lottery ticket, and you're paying nothing for him, and you got him. Like that surplus value is, is unbelievable as a whole to have him as an asset. It's just it's mind-boggling if you look at the numbers for it, and that's why they won. Purely on, I think purely almost on that move, I think that you can consider them. I probably would have considered them the winner purely on that move. Like don't even factor in Kinsler and Kozar. Like when you factor them in, it just blows it out of the water for me. But yeah, you're talking about the pitching side of it. I think they're about a pitcher away too. I'd be really interested to see. I know Otani, there's been rumors that he wants to be kind of his own guy, but I mean, make a bid for Darvish. That'd be relatively interesting. I don't know if it's realistic, but I've heard a lot of stuff like the Houston wants him, but you know, the logic around Houston wanting them is similar logic to why the angels might want him. And I don't know their salary situation or whether to be willing to pay, but at the same time, you look at it, they got a lot of young pitchers there that have been injury-prone, have had just issues as a whole in getting healthy and throwing a lot of innings. And to some extent coming into this year, I'm not going to be surprised if you see one of those guys take off, whether it be a guy like Skaggs, whether it take off as in be good, not like leave, excuse me. So take, become better, become excel, like turn into a not a Severino kind of guy, but like a Severino light where you see him jump up into top 30 conversation in the league, like a Garrett Richards, get him healthy. Um, you know, Heaney, it's just a ton of guys like Alex Myers on the shelf for a while. I've always liked him a lot, but I know he has bad control problems and just body problems as a whole, but got good stuff. I, I don't, I, I don't, they're going to contend. He's got, he's got hell good stuff. He's crazy extension yeah. too, but um, I, I think they can contend. Like, I know that they're still not as good as the Astros. Like, I think it's tough to make the argument that the Angels yeah. are better than the Astros, but I mean, go back to this thing with the standard deviation of wins around a team that's projected to be like 500. Like, are we going to be stunned if the Angels end up with a better record than the Astros? I would say no. Like, would it be surprised? Yeah, but stunned isn't that upper echelon yeah. of like the Twins making the playoffs. Like, I didn't see that coming. You know, that's stunned to me. But if we look at the end of the year and the Astros are playing in that one game wild card and the, and the Angels are in, win the division, win the LOS by a game, I'm not going to be shocked, honestly. Yeah. I don't think I'll be shocked. And I mean, I. It'd be super interesting to see if they make like moves in season because they think they could actually contend and make well, a productive move, pick up a deadline guy or something. I don't know. It's they got a lot, a lot of assets on that team. Oh no doubt, and, and you got we got to remember back before last season started, 
I, for one, I know many others thought the Angels are going to be probably one of the worst teams in all the baseball, if not the American League. And they were a week out from making the wild card. So they're right there. Um, and it's like the old saying goes, as a Giants fan, I know it for sure. You just got to get to the dance. And if you got a couple pieces, you can make magic happen. So their team's talented enough in a small series to be dangerous. I mean, as a Giants and Cardinals fans, we know this really yeah. well, that you can you can stumble yeah. into anything, you know? Like the Cardinals have yeah. some really funky runs coming out of wild cards and just getting hot and stuff. And it's just – it's one of those things, like, you, you just got to get there. You're 100% right saying that. Shohei Otani, we know he's got the uh, elbow issue now. They're going to pitch him probably once a week. I think he's going to hit three, maybe four days if they stick to the the plan he had in Japan where the two days prior to his start he didn't he didn't play the field at all. He didn't hit at all. He did his bullpen. He rested a day and he pitched. Um, what do you think they're going to do with Otani? Because you got Pujols in the way. I was a big CJ Cron fan, and that kind of is going to move him around. What's the plan? Do you think they're going to do with Otani? Yeah, I think that they go to what you're saying. That first thought you had, they're going to pitch him once a week and hit him three, four times a week. Uh, Pujols is probably going to become relatively just probably a clubhouse guy to some extent. I know that's a terrible investment for a clubhouse guy, but you kind of have to. That's a sunk cost at this point. If I'm Epler and I'm looking at that team, so. Uh, I'm interested to see. I think that actually I'll bring up – I talked to this guy, Will Carroll. If anyone is oh, on good Twitter old and enjoys – You know Will, good. There we go. Injury expert. Yeah, he's a he's an unbelievable guy to talk to in person. I, I thoroughly – I've talked to him multiple times, and he's just a blast. Like, he's funny, and he's just really intelligent. And we talked about Otani a little bit, and he said that he would not be shocked if the Angels were not disappointed in the fact that Otani eventually becomes a pure pitcher by midseason. Like, they're not going to be stunned if – at some point they look at this and they go, you know, it's not efficient for us to use you as a hitter. We have more assets on the DH side of things that could be relatively as productive as you're being. Maybe the durability aspect comes up into question. He hasn't played extensive amounts in the last two years. I don't from think from my understanding in the MPB. And he, I know he's only 23 and he's going to have a lot of stamina, but I, I liked what Will said in that. They're not going to be stunned if he goes to pure pitcher. But the other thing that's more interesting that Will said that I've kind of been floating on wherever I've gone recently is the fact that I asked him directly if he thinks there is a way for a player to pitch and play like every day, like pitches and then plays the next four days. And Will Carroll said, absolutely. It's a workload management thing. And he was, he was thoroughly convinced. And I, I, I bought into it because he knows what he's talking about, but he said the biggest problem in it is understanding the workload on the day you're pitching. It's not the hitting day. It's figuring out the pitching side and you have to convince that player that it's okay to go four or five innings only and only throw 65, 70 pitches, which is so hard to do for a lot of the guys that are bulldogs that you notice like Scherzer, you see all the gifs of Scherzer all the time, oh, yeah. hilarious gifs about him trying to stay in games and stuff like that. Like that's the nature of a pitcher, you know? Oh, yeah. So it's like to get a guy who number one is good enough to be two way and at the major league level, do both. You're already looking at an extremely small population. And then to hope that he's in the subset of people who'd be willing to listen to a theory that's, Hey, let's throw you. Once every week, you're going to throw 70 pitches max. We're going to take you out. It doesn't matter where it is, and we will play you in the field. We'll play you at center field if you want the other days. And Will Carroll was thoroughly convinced of this, and I loved the argument he broke down for me. A little bit more in detail than what I'm kind of bringing up. This is the crude argument. But, yeah. I mean, going back to Watani with it, it's like there is a way to get him to play every day and pitch. It's a more colored thing, and it's if he's willing to not throw 110 pitches in an outing because he wants to get through eight and he's dominating. You know, it's it's – it's tough, but it's you have to change the mindset. We're talking about the athletic. You got to change the mindset before you change the actual result of stuff like this. So, I mean, worst comes to worst, Otani becomes a pitcher, and he's going to be a very valuable pitcher. He's got crazy K rate. I don't think the walk rate is going to shoot up as much as people think from the projections we've seen. I know the mounds are a little bit different in the MPB, but as a whole, I don't think he's going to have trouble adapting. I believe in him. I believe in what a lot of the scouts I've heard from have said about him more than I believe in anything from my video watching. So, I mean, a lot of this stuff, because we don't have most extensive video and et cetera, you got to, I think to some extent you have to punt to the scouts and I'm punting to the scouts, the kids elite. No, I, I think that's a great idea. I'm real excited to watch him and curious to see how it all unfolds. And I, I hope the, all the reports about the elbow is just typical stuff. I'm hoping everything's accurate here. Cause the last thing I want to see is him yeah, go down after all this hype. <laughs> Yeah. Last question I have for you, and then we'll do fantasy baseball stuff at another date and time. Oh, okay. But I have one more question for you here. 
you Darvish, he's the big name right now. There was a leaked joke or they thought they had it that he's going to Chicago. Maybe he does in two weeks and it makes everybody else look stupid or I don't know. I want him to go back to Texas. Where do you think he goes? It's tough. This is something I haven't probably thought about as much as I should have. But yeah, I did see that tweet today. Um, it was it, the funniest thing was that Darvish quoted the Barstool guy. Yeah, I think it was a Barstool guy that broke it, classic. Yeah, classic Barstool Carl. Who's, yeah, and he does pretty good stuff too, which is odd. Yeah, he just decided to tweet that. Um, and and Darvish quoted it and said fake news, which is, I thought was fantastic. I think I retweeted that. But uh, um, as far yeah. as where he goes, I think it's a little pipe dreaming to think he goes to the Astros. Um, that would make that team, I think, substantially better than the Angels, more so than just better, in my opinion. I think that that's a big oh, yeah. move because they could play around that pen a ton. And if you look at the layout of that pen with with Verlander, with McCullers, uh, and I'm just talking about the rotation, but the pen to Will Harris, you got a ton of guys there that are really good. Uh, Davinsky still, I think, is still a very elite pitcher, even though he didn't smooth out as I think many of us hoped from earlier in this last season. But I don't think he goes to Houston – I think that there's a very good chance he goes back to Texas. I would say that that's my leader right now, that he goes back. Um, I wish I had more information on what the what Texas is thinking. I think that to some extent the Fister move was a hedge against it, a smart hedge by them, very quick hedge. It was one of the first signings. They got him for dirt cheap. Everyone dirt immediately cheap. called that a, a great signing, and it's because they moved quickly, and, and it was probably a good situation for Fister. And it's just it was, it was ingenious, I think, by them. That's probably one of the most underrated moves of the offseason for me, just on a – cost standpoint and value standpoint so i think that that was a hedge against darvish not coming back but i don't think they got a good i still think they have a very good shot to bring him back because the core of that team is still relatively there they don't have the strongest minor league system nearly mendez and a couple other guys but willie calhoun is the projections around willie calhoun which was something i was gonna get on the fantasy side are just blowing my mind like his slash is like mm-hmm. like 270 or something like that with 27 home runs they're predicting him for like when was the last time we saw any system give a rookie a benefit of the doubt like, they love his approach. That team is going to be probably a little better than people think. I think the AOS yeah. is, is going to be a really interesting division, especially with the – the A's aren't terrible. Like, that's no, the other thing. Is, they're not. They're that's the funny thing. Team. They got yeah. pitching. They got Trinan. They got Chris Davis. Piscotti is a Cardinal. I know he had a terrible year. He's I still love him at, get on base at a He's, he's going to get on base at, like, a 350, 360 clip. Like, mm-hmm. that is value. He's going to be, like, a 2-3 win player, and, and he's, he's cost-effective. It's just – like, Billy Bean is, is doing a good job. I don't know if they're going to contend, contend, but – to count them out early on I, I is, I think, a bad, a terrible idea. And I'd be very interested to see when they come out with some over-unders what their win total is. If you jump on that A's one early over, like, if it's a low, I, I support that entirely. It's probably something I might be doing. Um, oh, no but, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I'll, I'll agree with you. I'll go back to Texas with Darvish. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's a good spot for him. As he, he, he tweeted out, I heard they were doing it, and he put a picture out a little while ago that uh, he had dinner with John Daniels yesterday, last night. They just, it was a, just just friends, and that was the reports coming out. And, and that says a lot about how much he appreciated his time in Texas. So oh, okay. I think that's that's a, the logical spot for me. I just don't see him fitting in Chicago. He might still go there. I just don't see it. Uh, yeah. Houston would be fun. I'd like to see how him and Guriel uh, bury that hatchet. Yeah, that's That'll be really interesting. Overlooked. I don't know if we just don't want to unearth it again, but uh, yeah. <laughs> because that that hatchet, you know, you can always say, sure, we're cool, but having to share a locker room is a whole other story. Oh, yeah. uh-huh. So um, I'm curious to see how because, yeah, if he goes to Houston, man, that brings them from being, you know, j- just above everybody else to back way up above everybody else. That's a or, humongous. Or four of the top move. 30 pitchers in baseball, 25 pitchers in baseball. Oh, that's terrifying. Baseball, honestly, terrifying know. stuff. McCullers is the base there, but uh, – yeah, that's and I love McCullers. He just can't stay healthy. Yeah, the, the curveball usage is just insane with him. It's always been an issue. I, I love him too, but I actually really like – there was a video a while ago of him talking about the curve and how he, like, modifies it every time he throws it and stuff. But, yeah, it's so effective. It's just – he's fun to watch. Like, when he's on, he's one of the most entertaining pitchers, I think, to watch. Just because that pitch is yeah, so good. You know it's coming. You still can't hit it. Yeah, his run in the World Series was just awesome. Just oh, filth. Unbelievable. Yeah. But – but all right, Lance. I will let you get on your way. This was a blast, my friend. Lots of good, lots of good talk. We'll have to definitely do this again. We'll do Absolutely. some fancy talk. We'll just talk whatever because that was fun. And um, everybody, check him out on Twitter at Lance Brosdow. Um, Big3Sports.com. He mentioned his up, he's, he's working all over the place. He's grinding it out. <laughs> he has two more podcasts he's been recording the night. Yeah. Busy man. So get him, get him where you can. <laughs> But um, Lance, appreciate it, man. Absolutely, no problem at all. I'm 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 excited to do some fantasy talk with you. Yeah, we'll definitely get it in. And um, oh, are you going to be in the Invitational? Fan tracks? 
Yes. Yeah, I put my app in. I don't know like how it works. Uh, I know, I know the guys over there, so they better f and let me in. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 you have it in over there, and you yeah. know the guy running the deal. I, I play in the bar league with them, so if either one of us don't Mason, get in, just is it Mason. Yeah, it's Mason. So yeah, yeah, Mason's the man. Yeah, Mason's the man. So if there's an issue, I might have to call him up and see what's going on here. <laughs> do you know if actually uh, this is a little off? This is more like a personal conversation here, but do you know if there's like uh, how the structure of it is? Like, is I it, have uh, no clue yet. Because, like, I saw that they have, like, 85 applicants. I know it's not just one 15-teamer, but I'm interested to see if it's, like, three 15-teamers and then they aggregate all the points or, like... I think it's going to be... tiers? Like, I'm not sure. I think it's going to be like the NFBC does it where you have your own individual league uh, that you can win. Smart. And then you have the overall deal. Yep. So I think he incorporated this so, you know, guys like you and I that don't get invited to Tout Wars or other things like that, we can still play because as we started out this whole thing talking is... All of these guys, no matter how big or small they are in the industry, they all want to do the same thing. Oh yeah. So yeah. That's the biggest thing, Scott different. Like, that's that's what's yeah. talking about with the so, athletic. That's why I guess it's tremendous. But we will definitely talk fantasy sports, my friend, and we will talk more baseball and whatever else. But again, thanks for joining me. This was Bench with Bubba, episode sixty one. Catch you guys next time.